0: You're listening to Byzantine Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture in collaboration with the Melkite Eparchy of Newton. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and director of the Institute and host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org.
1: Welcome, everyone. We are looking at the readings for the Byzantine Lectionary for the Seventh Sunday after the Holy Cross, the reading of the Raising of the Synagogue Ruler's Daughter. Let's take a look at the reading in Luke chapter 8, verse 41 through 56. This is Luke chapter 8, verse 41 through 56. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to have one. You can turn with us to chapter 8 of Luke's gospel. Luke eight, forty-one. There came a man named Jairus or hieros in the Greek, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he besought him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. And he went, the people pressed around him, and a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years and had spent all her living upon physicians, could not be healed by anyone, came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her flow of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the multitude surround you and press upon you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone forth from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well, go in peace. While he was still speaking, a man from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and and she shall be well. And when he came to the house, he permitted no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and bewailing her, but he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called her, saying, Child, arise and her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat, and her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. So a little bit about context here. This is occurring toward the end of the Galilean ministry. Jesus has not yet begun his trip to Jerusalem. That will happen in the next chapter after the Transfiguration. So this is the tail end of the Galilean ministry, and we hear about two miracles, two miracles at the hand of Jesus. Both of them, of course, are related. They're in the same story. And Luke helps us see the relationship by not only interweaving the two stories, he sets the story of the, the healing of the woman in the greater context of Jesus's trip to go heal this daughter of the synagogue ruler. The two events are connected, furthermore, by the number 12, the number 12. Now, anyone who's read their Bible here and there knows that that, that number 12, the number 12 is used often symbolically to refer to the 12 tribes of Israel. When you think of 12 in the Bible, that's usually the first thing I think most people would think of, or the 12 apostles, and really that's the same image. The 12 apostles were called by Jesus, gathered by him, as a sign that he was reestablishing the kingdom of Israel. Okay, so the the 12 there should point us to the, the image of the 12 tribes, or the people of Israel in general. Remember, Luke doesn't have to tell us how old the girl is or how long someone's been suffering, but he throws that information in there to make sure we're focused on what is going on here in Jesus' ministry. Jesus came to do two things, to heal us of our infirmities, most importantly, our spiritual infirmities, our sin, and to save us from death. To heal us of our spiritual infirmities and to save us from death those two things. A lot of people think of Jesus coming to save us from sin, save us from simply our spiritual ailments. He came to do that and also save us from the result of that, that is death. He saves us from sin and death. That's really important to grasp that. More on that in a second. So we hear about the healing of these two girls or two ladies here, and then it says, when he said for the girl to arise she, and she, her spirit returned, he told them to give her something to eat. Why does he do this? Well, we'll see this in other places. Jesus, after the resurrection in Luke's gospel and in John's gospel, he'll eat in front of his apostles. Why? Because... If they didn't see this girl eat or didn't see Jesus eat after his resurrection, they might think he's just a, a phantasm, a, a spirit, a, or maybe a, a ghost or an apparition or something like that. But the fact that he's eating physical things shows he has a physical body. And so, therefore, this girl also who is eating is shown to have her body. She's been raised from the dead with her body, a physical resurrection. And it's important. And uh, for them in that period, especially for the um, for the a Gentile audience to hear this, remember Gentiles typically coming out of that Gentile world, they were dualists. The material world was evil or irrelevant, including your body. So for them, salvation was to be freed from this world, from this material world, from this fleshy world, and to float off into the clouds to be with the spirit gods. But That's not salvation in the Judeo-Christian tradition. God, one God, created everything, and it was very good, both spiritual and material, very good. And so in the Judeo-Christian tradition, salvation is not simply being saved from this world. No, it's the restoration of this world. It's the resurrection of this world. It's the resurrection of God's creation, all of it the salvation, restoration of all of it, to what was God's original plan. So we hear about, the, we hear about the, the girl being raised with her body. Jesus heals this woman of her illness, and now her body is in perfect health. Very important there. Our identity in Christ, due to our baptism, our initiation, baptism, chrismation, and the reception, the mystery of holy eucharist the these three sacraments which in the early church were always done in one liturgical celebration brought us into christ made us one with him raised us up with him made us a new creation in christ and so in our baptism in that baptismal font it's like Adam being drawn from the waters of the first creation, we are drawn from the waters of baptismal font. As we heard about the breath of God being breathed into the nostrils of Adam, making him a living being, we receive immediately after baptism the laying on of hands and the anointing with the oil, confirmation or chrismation when we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God's life, his breath is breathed into us. And now we are a living being, but we need to now eat of the fruit of the tree of life, which formerly Adam had been forbidden, that is, the body and blood of Christ, which gives us eternal life. Jesus said, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has life in him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Adam and Eve were supposed to have eaten of this tree in the garden, but instead they reached out to the tree of knowledge. God said, this is not for you right now. And since they did not repent of their sin, they were cast out of the garden they were cast out lest they eat of the tree of life in an unrepentant state and live with their bodies eternally alive while spiritually at enmity separated from god as his enemy so, so god sent us out of the garden so that he could first restore us to a relationship with Him through repentance baptism chrismation the Holy Eucharist makes us one, makes us a new image. We're refashioned in the image of, image of God through Jesus Christ, as Paul says in Romans 8. Like Adam of old now, but now into the image likeness of his eternal son. We have become, as St. Peter says in his second epistle, chapter 1, verse 4, partakers of the divine nature. As, Christ, as God became partaker of the human nature, we have become in baptism in Christ a partaker of the divine nature which gives us, restores us back to eternal life. And now you might say, I, well, Father, that's very nice, but I know lots of Christians who have been baptized, chrismated, and received Holy Communion. And, and I know Jesus says, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has life in him. But I've seen those people die. Well, that's right. Just as Adam Just as Adam died the day he ate of that fruit of the tree of knowledge, the day he turned away from God, the day he rejected God's command, God's word, which is what unites God to man, he died that day. The sign that he was dead that day was when he looked at Eve and Eve looked at him and they realized they were naked. That is, they were ashamed in front of each other. They no longer trusted each other. Their relationship was broken because they had broken their relationship with God. It's often been said that God and man's relationship to one another is like, like a wheel. God is the hub, and we are the spokes, and when we move away from God, we move away from each other, and so they recognized their separation, and the separation of them from God, we see it in, in chapter 3, verse 8 of Genesis, when God comes on the scene, and then they go and hide. They're afraid of their nakedness, afraid God will see them naked, right? There's no trust, there's no relationship, so the, they were dead to God. And they failed to repent. They admitted to what they did after he interrogated them, but there was no repentance there. Admitting to a sin is different than repentance—being sorry for that sin and choosing not to do it again. It two different elements. Intended to be related, it's supposed to go hand in hand, but they are two different elements. There's lots of serial killers out there in prison who would uh, will will relish to tell you about everything they did, but have no intention of changing their life or Repenting, if you ask them if they do it again, they say, Oh, yeah. So, repentance and, and admittance of sin, or it, it admitting to what you've done versus repentance, two different things, but they should go together. And so, in Christ, we have been restored to life. Adam died that day spiritually, and eventually his physical death came as a result of that. His body began to decay because its existence depended on his soul, on his spirit, its relationship to the source of life. And so the same thing happens with us. On the day of our baptism and chrismation and reception of the Holy Eucharist, on the day of our recreation, raised spiritually, we then begin a journey of spiritual theosis, of becoming like God becoming a fully living being, the contrast of what was happening to Adam. And just as Adam's physical death eventually came, lagged behind his spiritual death. So our physical resurrection comes as a result of, and may lag for a time, from our spiritual resurrection, our baptism. When does that happen? That, That happens, of course, at the end of time. We are, in our initiation into the church we have received his his body and blood and he he says he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has life in him i will raise him up on the last day this is in john chapter 6 i will raise him up on the last day this is the purpose of the holy mystery of the eucharist this is why we receive holy communion so that our flesh can be united to his resurrected flesh so that even though we may die, we too, as he died, we too may rise from the dead. That will happen when he comes again. What do we do between now and then? Well, it's very simple. We've been baptized into Christ. We have become one with him. As we say in the, the, as we sing in the baptismal service, All of you have been baptized into Christ and put on Christ, this is Galatians 3.27, like a garment. We become one with him, we're a member of his body. And therefore, if we are Christ on earth, we are his hands, his feet, his mouth to the world. And so our job, as St. Paul says here, is to walk in the works of Christ, walk in the good works, walk in these, the ways of Christ, between the baptismal font and our bodily resurrection, between our spiritual resurrection and our bodily resurrection we have one job to be christ here on earth to walk in his way so let us glorify jesus christ not only in spirit but in our bodies on this journey between the baptismal font and our resurrection from the tomb so that we may glorify him with his eternal father and his all holy good and life giving spirit both now and ever unto ages of ages amen
0: Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Byzantine Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting Institute of